0: <clears throat> I said, "I love you." And they uh, break, some of you I, you might have made you nervous, not knowing what that means. And so when I say "I love you," what it is is' a commitment on my part to you, specific commitment, uh, And uh, there's several of them. One of them is that I am promising that I will pray for you uh, by name every week. I have almost all of you in my iPad and your pictures, and I faithfully pray through that every week I put in prayer requests and things under your name uh, that I faithfully pray for, and, uh, and so when I say I love you, I'm making a fresh commitment that I will do that uh, for you. I'm also saying that I will forgive you of anything no matter what you would do, no matter what you would say, no matter how many times you would do it or say it, I will forgive you of anything because Christ has forgiven me. And, uh, and so that's a key aspect of loving each other. Another thing I'm saying when I say I love you is that I will work very, very hard uh, and diligently each week in my study and preparation so that when I preach and teach the Word of God, that uh, you will have a genuine encounter with the living God and uh, that uh, His words would powerfully impact you. And so I feel that as a responsibility whenever I stand here and proclaim and teach uh, the Bible that I would be really well prepared. And so when I say I love you, I'm um, promising you that I will be faithful and responsible to study so that uh, you will be, bene- uh, be blessed and benefit from the time that we spend now looking into the Word of God. And so it's easy to sort of uh, just talk off the top of my head, but I am committed not to doing that and to study faithfully, prepare well so that uh, you are well-fed spiritually because of that preparation both by the study and the prayer time that I have. And I love it when you, a number of you say that you pray for me faithfully. And when you do, pray that God would uh, anoint me, fill me, work through me, teach through me His Word uh, because that's the power of God uh, in our life, His Word. So I said earlier, I'm not a math teacher, but uh, I do teach the Bible. I'd like to teach you a little history right now. Uh, The Middle East is in the news a lot, the nation of Israel is as well and most of you know quite a bit but I thought I'd refresh your memory if you don't um, Abraham was sort of the beginning point of the nation of Israel when God promised him that out of him would come a great nation and he trampled through the area walked through the area that is Israel and said every place your foot falls I will give it to you to your people forever and then uh, he had a son Isaac and went on from there and it was a small family that went into Egypt uh, just a family unit and uh, Uh, Twelve sons, and while they were there, they multiplied uh, as uh, families do, and they left Egypt under the leadership of Moses, a million strong. It took them a few years because of sin to finally enter into the promised land under the leadership of Joshua, but they did that. And then they kind of grew and shrunk and grew and shrunk, and then under the rulership of David, they became a very powerful country, probably the most powerful country in the world. And it's not surprising, a guy like David, who killed a big giant with a slingshot, obviously is a tough dude, good leader, good general. And so they became incredibly powerful as a nation under the leadership of David. That was about a thousand years before Jesus. Solomon, his son, uh, further developed the nation, built the temple, uh, developed the trade, and they again became not only the most powerful, but the richest nation in the world under Solomon's rule. And then when he died, things went bad and then uh, about 600 years before Jesus uh, there was what was called a Babylonian captivity the Assyrians had first conquered the northern part then the Babylonians conquered the southern part of Israel and the nation of Israel was destroyed the temple was destroyed Jerusalem was flattened the people were taken into captivity and uh, there was no longer a nation of Israel the Persians then conquered the Babylonians and Israel was allowed to go back to the promised land rebuild the temple and then about 300 years before Christ, Alexander the Great uh, and the Greeks conquered everybody. They were an incredible army and uh, did amazing things as an army. And the whole world, an own world, became uh, Greek-speaking because of their power. Now, Alexander the Great was very powerful, but he didn't live very long, and he died. And then became this squabble between all of his generals. There were four big ones, and they sort of parceled out the world the known world between them, and then there were other sub-generals that took over parts of it, and about 160, there was a dude called Antiochus IV, and uh, he had a small little area of the world, which would now be Syria, but he was pretty ambitious, and he didn't have much army, and so he became sort of a uh, conniver uh, in what he would do to gain control and power, and through his conniving and trickery, he began to become more and more powerful. He Signed a, a treaty with the nation of Israel whereby he would be their protector. And as soon as the treaty was signed, uh, he took over and moved his office into the temple and declared Zeus to be the God of Israel and the God of the world. And that the temple became a temple of Zeus worship. He offered a pig on the temple, uh, on the altar in the temple, and he began to persecute the Jews. He said, You can't do anything that's in the Bible. You can't worship on the Sabbath. You can't. You can't celebrate the Passover and none of that, and in fact, they would have these inspections regularly of boys, and if they discovered they were circumcised, they would kill them on the spot. In five years, he slaughtered about 100,000 Jews. Uh, he changed his name from Antioch, Antiochus IV to, uh, to uh, uh, Antiochus Epiphanes, which means, I'm God. He declared himself to be God, and uh, then he was conquered and killed and destroyed. That was the end of it. Um, After him, the Romans conquered the Greeks. Rome was in charge of Israel when Jesus was born. And um, 70 AD, excuse me, uh, I had to go back. I forgot one of the things. When uh, Antiochus IV, Epiphanes, slaughtered this pig on the altar, there was a guy, a Jewish fellow named Judas Maccabeus, who Uh, gathered some soldiers, and they revolted and rebelled, and they actually freed Israel. Israel became a free country uh, for 50, 60 years under his leadership. First time in hundreds of years that they were a country that was free. When that occurred, they established a celebration, and they celebrate it still today. Hanukkah is celebrated in celebration of that victory. Uh, A cool name, Uh, this guy, Judas, they changed his name to Maccabee. As a nickname, it means the hammer. And uh, he was a a fighter, and uh, he led this army, and they delivered Israel. And so today, during our Christmas season, the Jewish people celebrate this Hanukkah in celebration of that victory under this guy. Then the Romans took over. They conquered everybody. 70 A.D., uh, the Jews again revolted against Rome, and uh, Titus, the general Titus, destroyed Israel, killed 90% of the Jews, destroyed the temple, and the nation of Israel again was no longer... Uh, they uh, renamed the country Palestine uh, and uh, under, because of the Philistines that used to live in the country when David was fighting uh, them, they named it Palestine. Israel didn't exist as a country until 1948. That was a great year. That was the year I was born. And uh, Israel became a state and a country and that was reestablished. So that's a little history because there's some of it uh, going to be in our sermon this morning and we've been going through the Gospel of John and we're in John chapter 10. And so let me read to you John 10, 22. at that time the Feast of the Dedication, Feast of the Dedication, now that Feast of Dedication right there is uh, Hanukkah that was established just 160 years prior to the birth of Jesus, it wasn't one that was outlined in the Old Testament and so it's during this time. Now John, when he writes the gospel, is very precise, includes things that... Uh, none of the other gospel writers included, and it was always for a reason, almost sort of like a hint. And so he tells his story during this feast time. Now, one of the reasons why Jesus had such a tough time convincing the Jews that he was indeed the Messiah, the hope for one, is they were looking for a guy like Maccabee the hammer. They were looking for somebody to come in and destroy and conquer the Roman Empire and drive them out and establish Israel like a nation like David did. And so when Jesus came in uh, preaching, uh, turn the other cheek, man, they didn't like that. They wanted a guy who came in with a sword, uh, conquering and killing. And so they didn't really want this kind of Messiah. At the time of the Feast of the Dedication took place at Jerusalem, it was winter, our Christmas. And Jesus was walking in the temple in the portico of Solomon. It was a covered area, a porch over it, probably raining. The Jews then gathered around him, sort of just surrounded him, and uh, were saying to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Now Jesus, as you read the gospel of John, from John chapter 1, verse 1, up to chapter 10, has already told him at least a dozen times, I am the Christ, I am the Messiah, I am the hope for one, I am God. Uh, But they say, tell us plainly, Jesus answered them, I told you, you do not believe. I've told you over and over, and you still don't believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, these testify of me. There wasn't hardly a sick person in the country. Jesus healed people born blind, healed the deaf, uh, raised the dead. Uh, I mean, miracle after miracle, hundreds and thousands of people were healed, The works that I do in my Father's name, these testify of me. But you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Now, Jesus is declaring, I am God, I am equal with the Father. And he has said this repeatedly, I and the Father are one. Now they just ask him, if you're the Messiah, tell us plainly, I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I showed you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you stoning me? The Jews answered him, for a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy, because you being a man, make yourself out to be God. And that's exactly what he did repeatedly. Uh, declare himself to be God. So if you have your notes and your bulletin, we'll fill in the blanks. Number one, the Feast of the Dedication is today called Hanukkah, or the Feast of Lights, started during the time between the Old and New Testaments. Um, and It's celebrated today. If you look on your calendar in December, you can see uh, where it's at there. It's... um, rarely on our Christmas Day, but in the vicinity of that day. It lasts about a week long the celebration of this particular event and commemorating the victory of the Jews, uh, uh, just conquering the Greeks and setting Israel free. They're looking for that kind of thing to happen again. Um, commemorating the Israelites' victory over the Syrian king Antiochus Epiphanes under the leadership of Judas Maccabeus. <clears throat> so that's what they wanted the Jews There's another dude like him number two Daniel prophesied about this event 500 years before it happened uh, prophecy is fun to study in the sense that there are literally hundreds that were, prophet, that were made that have been fulfilled and uh, it's a great booster to your faith to see the things that were prophesied years before hundreds of years before that were literally fulfilled now Daniel prophesies of this uh, guy this Epiphanes, this guy who declares him to be God, who established this treaty with Israel, who tried to destroy them as a nation, and it's a precursor to the Antichrist that is yet to come, who will do exactly the same thing. Uh, there, too, uh, what they did are going to be almost identical. Daniel 8 9, out of one of them came forth a rather small horn. That is, he didn't have much power. Uh, out of them, that is these generals, and he's talking about the Greek empire, um, a small horn which grew exceedingly great toward the south, toward the east, toward the beautiful land. That's the land of Israel. Grew up to the hosts of heaven and caused some of the hosts and some of the stars to fall to the earth. Trampled them down and even magnified itself to be equal with the commander of the host. It has declared himself to be God Remove the regular sacrifice from him, and the place of his sanctuary was thrown down, so all the Jewish sacrifices and laws were outlawed. Daniel 8:23, in the latter period of their rule, when the transgressors have run their course, a king will arise, insolent and skilled in intrigue, his power will be mighty, but not by his own power. You get to the book of Revelation, you see, it's the devil who gave him power. And he will destroy to an extraordinary degree and prosper and perform his will. He will destroy mighty men and the holy people. And through his shrewdness, he will cause the seat to succeed by his influence. He will magnify himself in his heart. He will destroy many while they are at ease. He will even oppose the prince of princes. But he will be broken without human agency. Daniel 11:21 A despicable person will arise on whom the honor of kingship has not been conferred but he will come in time of tranquility and seize the kingdom by intrigue the overflowing forces will be flooded away before him and shattered and also the prince of the covenant after an alliance is made with him he will practice deception he will go up and gain power with a small force of people in a time of tranquility he will enter the richest parts of the realm He will accomplish what his fathers never did, nor his ancestors. He will distribute, plunder, booty, and possessions among them. He will devise his schemes against strongholds, but only for a time. And then moving to the New Testament, after this guy is killed and Jesus has been born and the church is established, Paul is writing about the coming of Jesus in the kingdom. He says, let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come. That is Jesus in the kingdom. Unless the apostasy comes first, the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God, the future Antichrist. 2 Thessalonians 2, 8, Then that lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming, that is, the one whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan, with all power and signs and false wonders. Then moving to Revelation Chapter 13, the dragon, that's the devil, stood on the sand of the seashore. Then I saw a beast, the Antichrist, coming up out of the sea, having ten horns, seven heads. On his horns were ten diadems, and on his heads were blasphemous names. The beast which I saw was like a leopard. His feet were like those of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him his power, that is the devil, and his throne and great authority. I saw one of his heads as it had been slain. His fatal wound was healed, and the whole earth was amazed and followed after the beast. They worshiped the dragon because he gave his authority to the beast. They worshiped the beast, saying, Who is like him? Who is able to wage war against him? There was given to him a mouth speaking arrogant words. Blasphemies and authority to act for 42 months was given to him. He opened his mouth, and blasphemies against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle, that is, those who dwell in heaven. And moving on to verse 16, he causes all the small and the great, the rich and the poor, the free men, the slaves, to be given a mark on their right hand or their forehead. He provides that no one will be able to buy or to sell except one who has the mark, either the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for the number is that of a man, and his number is 666. Chapter 19, I saw the beast and the kings of the earth, their armies assembled to make war against him that is Jesus, who had come back to establish his kingdom, who sat on the horse and against his army, the beast was seized with him, the false prophet who performed the signs in his presence by which he deceived those who had received the mark and the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire, which burns with brimstone. All of that was prophesied years before it occurred. Antiochus was a precursor to the Antichrist, and he lived and conquered and did what he did, and he was conquered by Judas, and uh, they celebrate that today. And so Jesus is in the temple in John chapter 10 during the days that they're celebrating this. And so it's sort of a contrast between this Messiah that they hoped for and the Messiah that Jesus was on this particular day. Uh, Number three in your notes, Jesus Christ is God. He is God, he claimed to be repeatedly demonstrated that he was by the miracles he performed and by his own resurrection. I teach a lot about goal setting. I do prayer seminars and one of the parts of the seminar is if you're going to be faithful praying you're going to have to make a goal, a commitment to make it happen in your life starting with five minutes a day and working up and establishing that as a priority in your life. and when I travel, and I, I recently went to Missouri, and I'm going to go to, I get to go to Nova Scotia. I didn't even know where Nova Scotia was. Halifax, Nova Scotia, the fellow who talked to me on the phone says, We'll have every church in Halifax, Nova Scotia at the seminar if you'll come and teach it. And I says, Okay, wh- 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 where is this? And I discovered when I started getting the airplane flight, it takes as long to get to Nova Scotia almost as it does to Africa. I mean, people don't go there very often. And so I'm going to go do a seminar there three days uh, for all the churches. I don't know how many churches in Halifax, Nova Scotia, maybe one for all I know. But uh, I get to go speak there. But one aspect will be goal setting. And usually when I teach this part of it, somebody will raise their hand and they will say something like this, isn't goal setting secular? I mean, didn't Lee Iacocca invent that? Uh, what are we doing with it in the church? And my response to them is, no, God invented goal setting. God is the one who made plans before the foundation of the world concerning everything that He would do in the future. And back in time when nothing existed, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy planned the future, and their basic Premise: Their goal of all goals was to increase their family from God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit to God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit to the bride of Jesus, the church, us, we get added to the family. That was their plan. And they wanted this to be a relationship of love so they knew that there need to be freedom given to choose to love, to choose to follow, and they knew that when that freedom was given, we would blow it and we would sin. So part of the plan is that God, Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, would leave heaven, became flesh, become flesh like us, live with us, become our substitute, take our sin upon himself and pay the price of it. That was all in the plan of God before anything existed. Um, Jesus, as God, came into the world, emptied himself of all that he was as God, took all of your sins upon himself, became that sin, was nailed to a cross, and the wrath of God was poured out on his Son, Uh, He paid the price of our sin. He died on that cross. He was buried and He rose again and He's alive today. Um, That's the gospel. John 10, 24. The Jews then gathered around Him and were saying to Him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you. You do not believe the works that I do in my Father's name. These testify of me. Number four. I became part of the family, me personally, became part of the family of God, a son of God, a brother of Jesus, one of his flock when I believed the gospel and accepted it personally. When I was growing up, I never missed church. My mom wouldn't let me. I tried. I, I not only didn't miss church, I didn't miss Sunday school. I didn't miss Sunday evening church. I didn't miss Wednesday night church. I didn't miss youth group. If we had five vacation Bible schools in the area, I went to all five of them vacation Bible school in the summer, that's just the way my mom was. And so you know, you probably know what vacation Bible school is. It's sort of a five-day deal where you get a bunch of little kids and they do crafts and they have a Bible lesson. And then usually the last day of class, they have somebody give a message about the gospel and they give an invitation. Invitation usually goes to a bunch of little kids. If anybody here would like to ask Jesus to come into their heart, why don't you raise your hand? I'd raise my hand. And so if you ask me, when did you become a believer in Jesus? You know, I got saved every summer like six times (laughs) for years. But the date that I sort of claim is when I was 13 in 1961. Um, I was a teenager. It was a uh, summer camp down in Glendale, Oregon, Fur Point. Uh, There was a camp counselor there, leader called Glenn Goddard. And uh, it was there that this gospel really made sense to me. And I understood my own sin and my need for a Savior and I Personally received uh, and believed and accepted the gospel and was born again became a believer in Jesus John chapter 10 verse 26 you do not believe because you are not of my sheep my sheep hear my voice and I know them They follow me and I give I give eternal life to them. I give eternal life to them. They will never perish No one will snatch them out of my hand my father who has given them to me is greater than all no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. John 1.12, but as many as received him to them, he gave the right to become children of God. That's who I am, even to those who believe. Who believe, not an intellectual assent a historical fact, but personally believe the gospel to be true in regards to them personally. Hebrews 2.11, for both he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are all from one Father, For which reason he is not ashamed to call them brother. And Jesus is my brother. I'm part of the family of God because of my faith, because of personally receiving him and the gospel. Number five, when we're born again, because of our faith in the gospel, our spiritual eyes and ears are opened by God and we can hear and sense his promptings in our life. So you've probably seen a movie where a dead person is laying on a table. And then there's a scene where their spirit comes out of them, and there's a, the, the movie goes about them uh, being a spiritual being. Now, as this person sits up, the dead person stays on the gurney, the spirit sits up, the spirit sort of looks like the dead person, that's probably pretty close the way it is. Uh, now, if I fall over dead, the real me on the inside heads off to heaven, and this real me on the inside probably looks pretty close to what the outside looks like. The inside me, the spiritual me, the real me, has the capacity to hear and to see and to sense and to think. You ever think about the difference between your brain and your mind? Um, When you get to heaven with your spiritual body, you'll remember, you'll think, you'll see, you'll hear, you'll interact, you'll communicate with God. But before you're born again, by faith in the gospel, the real you on the inside is dead. Uh, Your spiritual eyes and ears don't work. They don't function. Uh, That's why the term born again is used And so now we can, John 10, 26 again. You do not believe because you are not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give eternal life to them. They will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. John 10, 4, when he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. They hear Their spiritual ears are open. John 8, 43, why do you not understand what I'm saying? It's because you cannot hear my word. Uh, That's the condition of those before they're born again. Their spiritual ears are dull. Matthew 17, 5, while he was still speaking, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen, listen to him. So Jesus, as Peter was sort of jabbering away about this scene that he was seeing where Jesus was transfigured with Moses and Elijah and he starts just sort of running off at the mouth and God says, Peter stop talking and listen pay attention to Jesus Hebrews 3, 7 therefore just as the Holy Spirit says today if you hear his voice if you hear his voice we we have the capacity now having trusted him, believed him to hear his voice do not harden your hearts if I go to the the hearing specialist and he does a test on me, uh, which you know they've done in the past. I've got hearing aids. They they said this ear I'm 50 percent deaf in, and this ear I'm 75 percent deaf in, and so that's a pretty significant hearing loss. And so I have to work at hearing. I don't like wearing my hearing aids because I like it being quiet. I mean, when I put my hearing aids in, I can hear the windshield wiper on the windshield squeaking. It's like oh, that's irritating and the squeaks in the car, and the door slamming, and it's so nice when I can't hear all this stuff, so I don't wear them. Uh, But sometimes when people talk to me, I really don't want to hear what they're saying, and so I act like I can't hear it. I I hate to confess that to you, but... uh, uh, And so because you know I'm hard of hearing, you think, oh, he didn't hear me. And so then I don't have to respond to what you're saying. Now, it's most often with my wife... uh, (laughs) Uh, and women's voices are the ones I have the most difficult with anyway so she's talking and I just keep reading and and her assumption is I didn't hear uh, a word she said and therefore I don't have to respond to what she said I don't have to do or or get involved in a conversation with what she said because I didn't hear it Um, just as the Holy Spirit says today if you hear his voice do not harden your hearts you know what that means? that means you just ignore it pretend like you didn't hear it just do your own thing Revelation 3.20, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, that's us, those who have believed, hears my voice, opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him. So I say I love you to Patty. Like I said, I love you to you. And I, when I say that, I, I made a list of commitments. I did that when she asked me, what do you mean anyway? And so I told her, this is what I mean. And one of the commitments of the seven is, I will talk to you anytime you want for as long as you like. Now that's a, my wife talks a lot, that she likes to talk, so that's how she solves problems. And so I, I'm always in a hurry, and, and it's like I could, I'm thinking in my head that you know, we could probably, this shouldn't take more than about 60 seconds, but it'll go on, you know, forever. And uh, I'm thinking sometimes until Jesus comes. But, uh, and so I made this commitment. Every time I say I love you, I'll, I'll talk to you anytime you want for as long as you like, and I will give sincere attention to your words. I will give sincere attention to your words. So if my wife is talking to me and she notices my mind is wandering, she will say, I love you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love you too. Okay, I'll listen. I'll pay attention. You can choose to listen to Jesus prompting, speaking to you, or you can ignore him. It's um, sort of our choice. Psalms 32, 8, I will instruct you and teach you in the way which you should go. I will instruct you. That's an amazing promise that he gives to us. I will instruct you and teach you in the way which you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. You know, some people have good marriages, really good marriages. Most don't. Some people have a really close relationship with Jesus, a real, genuine, intimate relationship with him. Most believers don't. And it's based on uh, communication, listening, paying attention. Number six, when we are born again and our spiritual eyes and ears are open, we have the very real ability to have a growing relationship with Him. And so it moves from being a religion to being a relationship. A lot of people say that as kind of a cute saying, uh, but not very many really have a true growing intimate relationship with Jesus, and that's based on listening uh, to Him and to His words and paying attention and wanting that relationship John 10, 26 again, you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. And I know them. I know them. I went over to Bend last week uh, to have a meeting and there was a lady there that I knew when I was from about six years old to ten years old. Uh, Her dad was in the Navy, my dad was in the Navy and we happened to be stationed at the same place for... Uh, three different places we were on Midway Island together I hadn't seen her for you know since I was ten years old and she's over in Bend married with seven kids and I saw her and I said I know you went up to the OHSU this last week for a doctor's appointment in the elevator and there was a fellow that used to be in my youth group when he was a kid like that big and he's a man now and he's in the elevator and I said I know you and so Jesus says, my sheep follow my voice, hear my voice, and I know them. Now that's not a recognition thing, that's an intimacy thing. I know you in a very, very intimate way. They follow me, and I give eternal life to them. They will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. John 10, 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. That's an intimate relationship with Jesus. Even as the Father, here's the standard, even as the Father knows me and I know the Father, that's the same relationship we can have with Jesus. That is the relationship that God the Father, God the Son have with each other. John 10, 3, to him the doorkeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name. Uh, He knows my name. He leads them out when he puts forth all his own. He goes ahead of them and the sheep follow him because they know, they know his voice. Number seven, the key to our being able to hear Jesus' voice clearly and have a growing intimacy with him is our willingness to follow him. Our willingness to follow him. So you in your brain have four sources of thoughts. One source is the devil. He talks to you all day long. Uh, the demons, his servants, probably with most of us, just jabber, jabber at us, and we, hear, we have thoughts in our head that are tempting thoughts that come right from him, and we have thoughts that come from the world, you watch television, there's an advertisement, <clears throat> those thoughts pop into your head, and we have thoughts that come into our head that are from us, we have original creative thoughts that are right from us, and then we have thoughts in our head that are from God, so we have thoughts that are from the devil, from the world, from our flesh, and from God, and uh, it's... We have to grow and learn how to pick out the voice of God that will lead us and prompt us. We will grow in intimacy in our relationship with him as we learn to hear that voice. And the key to hearing it is following him. There's sort of a radicalness to that, that we would say, Jesus, whatever you do, I will do. Whatever you say, I will do. Whatever you command, whatever you say, I'll, I'll do it. I'll follow you. When I was in high school, there was three other buddies of mine, and occasionally we would get together and we'd drive, we'd start at night after evening milking was over, we'd drive all night to Port Angeles, Washington. And back then, uh, 1965, 66, uh, I don't know what it is now, I've not been up there since, but they would take these log truck of logs and they would put a band around the logs, the whole truck, and they would hoist it up and put it in the water. And they had hundreds and thousands of these banded logs together out in there with the outside ones connected with the chain and it was like as far as you could see hundreds of acres of these logs out there and I don't know what they did with them if they towed them somewhere or whatever but you could walk on those logs for an hour and get clear out to the end of that and sit down at the very end and drop your bait over the side down to the bottom and catch fish like crazy back then lingcod no limit we would fill a gunny bag a piece uh, with lingcod uh, off the end of that log boom and then we would walk back and drive home with all the sling cod. We did it pretty regularly. Now when you're walking out there these big bands of logs are not connected they're just floating out there and so you're going from one to the other and you're trying to uh, see what's the easy way and occasionally there was a little bit of a space between them and you'd reach your foot out out there and you would get it on it and as soon as you did that they started going apart. More than once I fell in and one time I fell in and dropped my dad's very expensive fishing rod. Whoa, was I in trouble. So we learn something. Just jump. Don't be cautious. Don't be careful, because if you do, you're going in. Just jump. Now, you're a Christian. You've trusted Jesus. You're born again. You've believed the gospel to be true. And you want to follow him. Um, just jump. Just do it. There's a radicalness to the call that he gives us. And if you do, You'll, you'll hear his voice. Uh, John chapter 10 again. You do not believe because you are not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them. They follow me. They follow me. They follow me. And I give eternal life to them. They will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me as greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. John twelve twenty six. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. He must follow me. For I am there, my servant will be also. Luke 5.27, after that he went out and noticed a tax collector named Levi sitting in the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. Luke 9.23, and he was saying to them all, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me, and follow me. So, you know, you look in the mirror, and... uh notice your hair and the way you look on the inside and you look in the mirror question you could ask is am I a fully devoted follower of Jesus you are on the basis of choice you are on the basis of commitment a follower of Jesus if you're not it doesn't mean you're not going to heaven that you're there on the basis of faith and faith alone but now that is you're a believer you have the choice of following him and if you do then you can hear his voice and his prompting and his encouragement and you will grow in your walk and you're in your relationship with him. So you look in the mirror and you see your face and you ask yourself the question, am I a fully devoted follower of Jesus? Uh, you are because you choose to be. And uh, you're not because you haven't chosen to be and it's sort of, sort of something we get busy in life and that's what happens. An added bonus, number eight, of following Jesus is a growing confidence and security in our eternity. I had a doctor's appointment this last week and uh, Patty drove me because sometimes when I go to those things I get a little bit uh, woozy and difficult to drive home so she took me and I'm uh, with this doctor and we're talking uh, my health and uh, some significant kinds of things and... After it's all over, he's got any questions? I said, no. Pretty straightforward. We we're planning some tests and things. He said, uh, you seem pretty calm about this whole thing. Most people are nervous and have all kinds of questions, and they're pretty uptight about this and the future and all that, and it doesn't seem to be bothering you a whole lot. I said, uh, that's because uh, I really would like to die. He sort of looked at me. I said, I'm not depressed or anything, not suicidal. I mean, I'm just... Uh, Uh, I'm just looking forward to heaven. I get there, I'm going to get a new body, and none of this stuff is going to be going on anymore, and so I'm not really worried about uh, dying. I'm sort of looking forward to it. Um, Interesting conversation with him. He wasn't uh, antagonistic about it at all. He was asked some questions. We had a nice discussion about eternity and the future. Uh, John 10, 26 again, and you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. I give eternal life to them. They will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Philippians 1.21, for to me to live is Christ, to live as Christ, to die is gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me, and I do not know which to choose. I am hard pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is so much better. Yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. You ever wonder about th- that, that, that confidence, that security, where there's zero fear of death and zero anxiety about the unknown because you know where you're going? And How do you get that? Uh, it's not something you sort of just crank up in your head. It comes as a result of an intimate walk and in relationship with Jesus because you're hearing his voice because you're choosing to follow him. You're choosing to follow him. So a good question to ask uh, is, am I a fully devoted follower of Jesus? Is that, that is, have I committed, saying, Jesus, wherever you lead, I'll follow. Whatever you say, I'll do. And it probably should be an everyday thing where you say, you are Lord, master king of my life, and I will follow you. Those who do that will hear, And they will grow, they will become like him, and they will become strong, full of peace and full of joy. And life no longer really is anything they're anxious about because they know Jesus and they know him intimately. And the key is every day, you are Lord. I will follow you. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for... Long time ago, before anything existed, you planned. You planned me. Thank you for creating me. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for me. Thank you that I am now in your family, a son of God, a brother to Jesus. And I am secure. My sins are forgiven. I'm going to live in heaven. I'm going to live with you forever and ever with a new body. Thank you for that confidence. Thank you for that security, for that hope. I didn't earn it, I didn't deserve it. You did it, thank you. I love you, I want to please you with my life and I declare you Lord, Master, King and I will follow you. I'll follow you with every day I have left. Each of us, Lord, make that commitment. You are Lord of our life and we will serve you, we will follow you. We look forward to the intimacy and the relationship that is going to grow and grow the rest of our life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.